You come out in the snow. I know we're Oregonians and we're tough and stuff, but there's some congregations that close the doors, you know, if you get a half an inch on the lawn. Yeah. Well, I, I am now. I didn't start off that way. Yeah, I'm a transplant as well. So we do need to make an announcement. If there is snow on the ground, we cancel. How many inches? So, well, you know enough that it's going to be slick when you're driving or whatever. That's when we. Not last Sunday. We're just talking about. I'm talking about Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Sundays. Uh, we usually just try to have it no matter what. But Wednesdays, if there's if it's if there's snow on the streets where it's slick to get here, then we go ahead and yeah. this was not sticking so. So if there's snow, I go. <laughs> I remember that now. Well, good to see you. I'm ten days into retirement now. Ten days. And if that's any reflection of what the next 10 years is going to be like, I should have retired a long time ago. <laughs> Does anybody have any quick tips for me? Quick one-liners? Yes, sir. Enjoy it now because this is calling me for the storm. <laughs> You've always been one for encouraging words for me, my friend. You'll never be discouraged in your life. Yes, that's what my wife says about herself. Yes? Someday I'll go back and maybe teach that 
finding somewhere to do so. It's not, and then I, my wife's got, she claims a 30 page honeydew list that she's gonna drop on me any day. So I'm not one to be bored, I'm not one to be a couch potato. The last thing I wanna do is hang around the house all day, every day. Well, as a matter of fact, I don't even have that in my DNA. So to answer your question, I think I'll be plenty busy. And what I love the most is I love freedom. I don't like people looking over my shoulder, although sometimes I earn their skepticism because I run late or something like that. But I just like, I love not being stapled to a schedule. Yeah. That's the thing that I already love the most. I don't have to be there. And the other thing, because these are things that I do, I can call my own hours, call my own pride. You know, I'm not bound to anything. So I kind of like I haven't had that for 44 years. And my wife and I are looking to the time when we go camping for four or five nights and, and we go, well, kids okay, our last night, or why should it be? Let's stay another 10. Why not? I can't wait for that. So, I'm, so far I'm happy, 10 days in. Okay. Well, let's pray. And we're gonna pray for Carson. Carson is a seven-year-old, and I believe he's a grandson of, of Somebody that goes here, Teresa, and he's got spine cancer. Well, either that or they've never eradicated all of it. Yeah. Was, they didn't get it all. Uh, a, a, a subject of, of mystery. 
And when you talk to any believer, I mean anyone, that loves Christ, they will all tell you that at times they feel guilty because they don't pray enough. I mean, that is just the common confession of all Christians. They don't read the Bible enough, we don't pray enough, we don't read the Bible enough, so on and so forth. And to add to that complexity, our church fathers from yesteryear, and if you read any of the church fathers like Spurgeon and these other great giants of the faith, um, we read that many of them read two hours a day, four hours a day, six hours a day, eight hours a day, and still were dissatisfied that they weren't praying enough. So sometimes I don't think it's the amount of time that God is necessarily looking for, although we also know people that would have what we'd call the, the gift of uh, um, intercession. And for people that have that, they, they say that they can pray for a long time and really feel it. it is a gift. Um, there's a lot of guilt generally associated with prayer. Guilt that God never intended for any of us. I think he wants it to be simple. I think he wants us to, it, it's, it to be to the point. He, uh, well, we're going to break down what James says prayer begins. But it certainly doesn't, it shouldn't come with, laced with guilt and, and fear that you don't do it enough. We're supposed to be like children and approach Him, the Lord and God as Father. And I would never want one of my children to come talk to me in fear and trembling or guilty that they haven't talked to me that much lately. They have access to me at all times, as yours do. So, Chuck Swindoll, who's one of my faves, he says, please don't approach the subject of prayer with any guilt, undue guilt, or pressure that more is better, necessarily. Okay? The Lord knows our heart. And he longs to have us talk to him whenever we want. Such as prayer without ceasing. I've mentioned this before. Paul says pray without ceasing. That means unendingly. We know that's just a matter of speech. We know that Paul's just trying to make a point. What's his point? Anybody? What's his point? God is accessible. What? What did you say? He's accessible. He's accessible 24 7, 365. What? That's a basic thing. Yeah, yeah. He's accessible to us at all times. There's nothing you cannot pray about. You can pray about anything. Anything, anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Out loud, in your breath, we read uh, in the Old Testament. That, that a woman was praying to the Lord, I think it, it might have been in Samuel, praying to the Lord under her breath. She's talking to the Lord. I do that all the time in counseling. I said, Lord, this is com complex. I, I don't understand. Can you give me some wisdom? Was that Hannah? Huh? Was that Hannah? I think it was Hannah. Hannah yeah, thought she was drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they thought she was drunk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so um, in a conversation, Someone calls you troubled on the phone, you start praying, Lord. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene and work through us, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of hell, actually. So anytime, any place, loud, silent, thoughts, he sees it all. It's supposed to be a lot simpler, I think, than we make it up to be. And I believe when I first came here a year and a half ago, I think I preached on a Sunday, and I think I taught on the Lord's Prayer. And I begin with a story, um, and I call the story, actually I named the sermon when I talk about prayer, uh, uh, Hey God, This is Carlos. Now let me, ex that's the name of my sermon on prayer, Hey God, This is Carlos. So let me explain it. I, uh, my former sister-in-law was married to a man, Wonderful man, he's my brother-in-law, his name is Carlos. And uh, they, they didn't know the Lord 
when I was in her life, but as time would go on, they started going to church, and uh, she was more into it than he was. But this particular service, apparently they prayed to receive the Lord. And of course, I believe he's sincere, but he doesn't really know all what that means quite yet. And so they're driving home, and she says, well, Carlos, now this means that you're supposed to be the spiritual leader of our home. He goes, what does that mean? She goes, well, that means that, you know, you need to pray for our family and, you know, just protect us and just lead us spiritually as you learn and grow yourself. He goes, okay. So they're going to bed. She said, no, Carlos, this is a good opportunity for you to start. And pray to the Lord for our family and for this and for that. And just, but, but I don't know how to pray. Well, just talk to them like you talk to me. Or talk to them like your children talk to you. And he goes, and he had a really deep voice. Hey, hey God, this is Carlos. And uh, I thank you for what happened tonight. And help me be a spiritual leader. And I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Now, there's something precious in the heart of God about that. Rather than the King James Version prayers with a thousand of these, nothing wrong with that. Flowery, beautiful language, but God is as delighted with Carlos's prayer as a prayer that we as pastors do publicly. Okay. It's meant to be simple, honest, sincere, and filled with faith. So that's what James is talking about. Actually, his nickname in the early church, now remember James is Jesus' elder brother, or Jesus' younger brother. Jesus was his elder stepbrother, okay, half-brother, rather. And uh, he did not believe he wasn't a man of faith until after the resurrection. Matter of fact, he, was, he and his siblings were a little bit caustic and skeptic about Jesus, of course, a lot of families would be if you told your sibling that you were God's son and to be their savior, they'd probably be skeptical too. But he resisted. James held on until, to his resistance, he was one of those people, as I've talked about through the series, that's like, uh, you know, prove it, you just show me, and you know, I need evidence, kind of like a Doubting Thomas, so he's similar to Doubting Thomas. And he just wouldn't believe until the resurrection. And then he came to Christ, but he not only came to Christ, his life, as you look at in the five chapters of James, is completely flipped inside out to the point that they made him the head of the apostles in the early church. James was also the first apostle to be martyred. He was the first martyr. They put him up on a roof. They threw him off the roof, maybe a couple stories, and they beat him to death with clubs. That was James. Jesus is Olympia's half-brother, not stepbrother, his half-brother. So he earned the nickname Camel Knees. All of the apostles and his friends in the early church referred to him as Camel Knees because his knees were I, will, I don't know if they would call him bow-legged. The Apostle Paul had bow-legged knees, according to the historian. But uh, the fact remained that he was on his knees so much that they called him camel knees. So he was a man that loved prayer. And he was a man that was very practical with prayer, as we'll see tonight, as we did the last time we met together. Very practical. He covers a variety of areas, so let's just look back. Uh, chapter, verse 13, he talks about, he prayed for those that were suffering, that, that is those that were in intense trial and very stressed out. And it was associated with a long-term problem that wasn't going away. Long-term. That's where the word long-suffering comes from. So he talked about Prayer, if, you, if you're suffering, let him pray. Okay? And it doesn't mean that the Lord's going to lift your pain, necessarily. 
Sometimes he can remove the obstacle. More times than not, I think he gives us the grace to go through it. That's just my opinion. Sometimes he takes it. Sometimes he gives us the grace to go through it. And then he said, you know, if you're joyful, give a prayerful song, praise. A prayerful song, praise, and worship. Then he said in the area of sickness, like we just prayed for Carson. When you're sick, call for the elders of the church. And then he said, anoint him with oil. So if you weren't here, this might be intriguing to you. So oil then... Oil has two meanings in, in the Bible. It, 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 it reflects the, the power of the Holy Spirit or the presence of God. Oil does. But it also was medicinal. And so when James is talking about this, anoint, the elders should anoint him with oil. He was the, the phrase anoint him with oil means to work it into the skin. So that's much more than we do as elders when people come and pray every Tuesday and we just put oil on our forehead and we pray for them. And sometimes the Lord heals them, sometimes he doesn't. But that particular use has more of a medicinal meaning, a massage medicinal meaning. And as I said the last time I was with you, such as the, um, the man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that was beaten and the compassionate Jewish man that came, the Good Samaritan, came upon him. It says that he rubbed oil into his wound. Okay? So what James was suggesting, like we just said a few minutes ago, there seems to be a correlation in the scriptures when we talk about divine healing with prayer, medicine, and common sense, or being responsible. Remember my French fry story that I told a few weeks ago? Yeah. I wasn't using common sense. And I, therefore, I wasn't healed. I still have heartburn to this day if I eat the wrong foods. That's not common sense. I'm not being responsible. I can't blame God for heartburn or not healing me if I eat spicy food. You can't blame, blame God for not providing for you if you don't give to Him on occasionally. Hello? I've had people say, well, I, the Lord doesn't provide for me. And I go, well, you do, do you give to the Lord? Because he says he will multiply it ten times. Well, no, I don't really do that. And I go, well, don't blame him. Look at yourself. Why would you blame God for that? So that's kind of what we're talking about. So there's a practicality and a faith that goes hand in hand with healing. Divine healing. Then, above, then he goes on. And uh, what I left off with is personal confession and prayer. And so I left off with this thought last time, but it is very, very significant. Look at verse 16 in chapter 5. You know, he says, therefore, and what does therefore mean? What do you do when you read therefore? You ask what it's there for. It's usually referring back to what he just said, or he's preparing you to what, for what he's going to say. So you ask what therefore is therefore. It's going in two directions. Okay? So he says, therefore, being that we're talking about the prayer of faith, and there's very many expressions of faith, uh, faith and prayer and how God intervenes with that. Here's the other thing I want to add to your prayer list, he says. I want you to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay? Now, one thing I mentioned last time, and that is this. Frequently, sin can cause mental, emotional, and spiritual problems. Physical problems. Sin can actually make people sick. Alcoholism can make you sick. Getting too drunk can make you sick. Overdosing on drugs can take your life. Sin, frequently sin leads to sickness. Very much so. And we all sin every day, but I think you got the point. Okay. So he's saying to this group, 
It's possible that some of your maladies and sicknesses or maybe even emotional problems like depression or whatever, it's possible that it's related to sin. It's possible. So he says, confess your sins. Why? That you may be healed. Okay. Now I have a feeling personally when he says, confess your sins. First of all, he's not talking about a priest. Let's read it. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. That's everybody and anybody that's a person of faith that you trust. Okay? Doesn't have to be a pastor. Doesn't have to be a priest. It's anyone in the body of Christ, and we'll read in a moment why that is. Why it's important to confess to one another. But I'm talking about what I see real, real healing in this area for is people that have unconfessed sin that are harboring a ton of guilt. And like I said last time, sin grows in the dark like mold does. And so if you have secret sin that you've not repented of or disclosed to the Lord or someone else, it's secret. The darker and the longer it lays in the cave of your soul, the more it grows. And so confession exposes it to the light and the grace of Christ, and it dispels it. It loses its grip. I guess we could say that. Secret sin will have a grip on you and a grip on me. But the moment you put words to it and voice it, the grip is gone. So it's very... Now, let me ask you. If you were to do that, say I need to share something with you. I've been struggling with an area in my life. What do you think the qualifications are for the person you're going to share that with? Fellow Christian. Fellow Christian. What else? Not be a gossip. Not a gossip. Not a gossip. That would be crazy to do that. Someone else? I would say more mature, stable. You can trust. That's really big. Very trustworthy. Someone you can trust. Um, someone, anything else? Someone who loves you. Someone who loves you. Someone who will not shame you or act shocked at your confession. Which one thing is one thing that I have to do, that I should do, that I want to do, that I must do as a pastoral counselor. Respect. Respect, and I should never blush or act shocked. Like you did what? <laughs> That's not very encouraging. <laughs> if I confess my sin to a counselor and they said that, I'd say, well, this concludes our session here today. So I think we need to be very wise and selective who we do this for. But I'm telling you right now, it is very, very free to, to take something that you feel personal shame about and, and real, real brokenness over. And you repented over it so many times. Um, and to just share it with someone is just very, very freeing. And that's the healing that I have seen take place in people's lives. Okay? So that was the other thing you talked about. And then tonight... He talks about um, a fervent type of prayer, and uh, he talks about consistency in prayer, persistence and fervency. So let's go there, verse 17. So he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So as we pray, the Holy Spirit gives a power through that prayer that works, and it's working even as we're praying. Now, who and what is a righteous person? A Christian person has been made righteous by the blood of Christ. There you go. Anyone that is named in the name of Christ is righteous. Because when we come to Jesus, 
He takes our rags, our robes of rags of our good works and puts on us a robe of righteousness. righteousness. So anyone in Christ is righteous because of him. Not our own, uh, we all know we're not righteous, but because of the blood of Christ, we're righteous. And we're just, righteous, just. So James says, anybody that's a believer that prays in faith, we'll talk about what that means in a minute. Anybody in a, as a believer is righteous in Christ. We wear his robes of righteousness. It's not that you've got to get righteous. You already are. We, there's times we don't feel like it. But it's not about feeling. It's about faith. Right? So, we confess our sins to one another. Why? Because God uses it for healing and because our prayers are powerful when the Holy Spirit puts its hand to it because we come with the righteousness of Christ. That's what he's saying. So we need not feel our prayers are weak. Not when the Lord's leading us to do it. There's a lot of power there. A lot of power there. Now what God does with it is a different story, which leads me to the next point. Um, look quickly to Acts chapter 3. I want to show you an example. Acts chapter 3, we'll come back to James. Acts chapter 3. So when you say, well, what is the prayer of faith? Like, do we... Do we all of a sudden pump our faith up like we pump the wheel on a bicycle? Is there some kind of way that we pump it up and all of a sudden now we have more faith? No. What is this prayer of faith? Is it the name it and claim it kind of faith of the 70s? Anybody know what that means? Prosperity. It's the prosperity thing. I remember with the, the mother of my uh, children mother of my children, uh, I was at a church in the Bay Area, and for all three of her pregnancies with our three kids, she was very, very sick, first trimester, first trimester, like the first day of the second trimester, the, I could clock it, the first day of the second trimester, her morning sickness stopped. She was so sick with my second son, she got down to 87 pounds, and was in a hospital on IVs for 10 days. So she walks into the church office one day, and uh, everybody there knows that she's sick. And so someone, one of the secretaries said, well, how are you feeling? She goes, well, I, I still get a little bit queasy. And the woman said, well, you need to have more faith. Um, now, is that the spirit of Christ? No. Is that the faith we're talking about? No. no. That's the kind of uh, talk that's ignorant. And self-righteous, if you want to talk about righteous, that's self-righteous, it's ignorant, has no clue of what the compassion of Christ really looks like. like you need not, to have more faith. It's just not true. And it's not true. Yeah. That's right. It's not true. Now, there's a couple of instances where Jesus said you have a little more faith and stuff like that, but I don't think it has anything to do with what we're talking about here. No. Okay. So, that's not the faith we're talking about where you pump it up or you name it and claim it. My, my, one of my pastors in Bible college called blab it and grab it. I love that. You just blab it to the Lord and grab the healing. Blab it and grab it. Or we call it sloppy grace. You know, just sloppy. It's not based on truth. Okay, That's not what faith is talking about. So in Acts chapter 4, we have a good example of what I'm going to say here. Um, actually, it's Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So the ninth hour is, I think, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Jews and Muslims actually prayed three times a day, 9, noon, and 3. Uh, the Muslims throw, if you ever go to Israel, they have these little carpets they carry and they throw them right on the ground on the cobblestone street and kneel on them right in the middle of the street and bow because there's a big long horn that goes on and a 
Muslim prayer, but also the Christians were praying three times a day too in those days, nine, noon, three. And they would go to the temple courts and pray pretty faithfully. Okay, so it's the hour of prayer. This is what they do every day. Peter and John, the apostles. Okay? And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. So there's like six gates around Jerusalem to this day. Half of them are the original spaces. The other half are built-in gates or new, new gates. To ask alms of those entering the table. They still do that in Jerusalem today. I walked out of the, one of the city gates one day and there was a man and looked like he was missing a foot and he had a little tin jar and he was asking for alms. Just like the times of Christ. They're dressed like a Jewish person like that. Now seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple to pray, that's where he hung out because he knew they went in three times a day. You know? He asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, key, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's a key, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were, ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Powerful. Now there's something that's very interesting to me. And I have had this happen to me a couple times. That when there was a person talking to me or a person who came for prayer, and I'm just an average Joe believer like you, I'm even a retired pastor now. I can't even say I'm a pastor anymore, but how do you retire from ministry right here? But there's been times when someone has asked me something for prayer or something like that, and I was instantly fixed on them. Like, this is different. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like, something is different here. And I think it's just a little bit of faith that, as we're going to see in a moment, it's not faith that we pump up, that it's the faith of Christ that he inputs in our heart. He puts it there. We don't build it up. He actually puts it there at that moment. So I'll turn to the next page. Oh, let me just back up. i got to tell a story about this particular healing. Okay, so here's a man, he's an invalid, prays for him, he's on probably a carpet, he's holding a silver cup, his ankles <coughs> pop, connect, and grow into place, that fast, to the point where he was so sure he jumped up and started leaping and praising God, probably for the first time in his life. So I went to a church in the Bay Area, and there was 12 pastors. It was a big church. I was the youngest one, one of the youngest ones, just coming out of Bible college. But we had a pastor there named Pastor Weston, who at, he was one of our Bible college professors, and he had been teaching the, he was 85. He was teaching the Bible at that time for 65 years. Teaching it for 65 years. I remember as a young Christian, when he just used to read, I would cry. It was like, it was the voice of many waters that we read about, the voice of Jesus in Revelation. I would hear Jesus through this man's voice. I couldn't stop crying. It was that powerful. Anyhow, he was a missionary in Africa, and every year, this pastor on our church, in our church, in the Bay Area, would go to Africa. And they would have big revivals, thousands and thousands and thousands of Africans, with these, they were just enamored and blessed, and many were Christians of these uh, American pastors that would come. And so, this one particular healing service, like after preaching, a lot of people preached, a lot of worship, they would have people come forward for prayer. This woman 
carries her daughter. The daughter was a very tall. It was very, very thin. She carries her daughter to the platform. The daughter had no bones in her legs at all. Reminds me of this story. No bones. They could bend her legs. Bend her legs. She couldn't walk. And so she brings this little child up to Pastor Weston. And she says, could you pray that the Lord Jesus heals my daughter? And instantly, he's frightened. I mean, he's petrified. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they're holding up this baby, or this young girl, in front of him. And he's hesitating. He's, he's asking the Lord, what do I do? And he said, the Lord pressed on his heart that if she has enough faith and confidence to believe that I can heal her daughter, you should at least have enough love to pray for her daughter. He prayed for her. Bones pop into her legs and ankles. And the pastor leads her across the stage walking. Now this is one of the most, I mean, I'm telling you about this guy. This is not a story, he's there. Same story we see there, why not? Why not? Yeah. That's the prayer of faith. But I want to just explain that a little. So just turn over a page, or maybe just go a little further down. For me, it's page verse 16. Everybody's blown away that Jesus healed this person. And they're confused. And of course, the Pharisees are mocking it. I don't I remember if it was the snows, it's just the day of prayer, it wasn't the Sabbath. But Jesus is explaining to them what just happened to this man. Look at verse 16. And in his name, that's the Lord Jesus. Remember, Peter and John said, John said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So it's in his name that the power is. Not what we pump up, but his name. It's not a faith healer. And in his name, by faith in his name, that's where we have the faith, is in the name and the power of Christ. Because we know he could do it if it falls within his sovereign plan. Obviously, if he healed every time we pray, none of us would die. It's that simple. By faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So this is the, the, the it's not a secret, but this is, in my opinion, how faith for healing works. We have a desire, we go to the Lord, we pray for a healing, and it's the faith that he gives us to pray back to him that brings the healing. It's not anything we do, if you know what I mean. We just, out of obedience, like this pastor did, pray with the faith that the God Lord gives you at the time. And sometimes he heals and sometimes he doesn't. Anybody else ever see a healing or participate or see someone heal? That's pretty drastic. But have you ever prayed and been healed before? Anyway. I Declare it. Say, Lord, you can do it. 
You can heal Carson. We know you can heal Carson. With everything inside of us, we trust that you can heal Carson. But we leave it with you. I think that's as much faith as you can express. But there is a time, I think, sometimes where you have just there's something different and you know that you know. Did you hear that? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, Bill, in verse 16, in the, in the New International, it yep. says, it is, G, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him yeah. that has given this complete healing to him. Yeah. And then if you look back up, it says, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So he had a physical, a mental, and a spiritual healing all at once. But it was, and that's where, how I know that, that, that it means it's the faith that comes to Jesus, because I got it out of NIV. It doesn't really say it as clear in the ESV, right. but that's where I learned that, was from the NIV. It's the faith that comes through Jesus that we pray with. It's not ours that we pump up. So that should take care of any guilt problem, like, what's wrong with my faith? How can I pray for people that there's never any change? Well, it's not necessarily how it works. God is the one that does work. We just have to be obedient and pray. Okay. So I just wanted to like cover that. And then he goes down and he talks about a different kind of prayer. Now, chapter verse 17. He uses Elijah as an example. And earlier when we prayed, we pray about we were praying about suffering and things like that. He referred to Job. We need to have the patience of Job. We said that earlier in chapter 5. He used Job as a sampling of prayer in suffering, long-suffering like the patience of Job that the Lord rewarded in time. So we've covered that. He said, be like the prophets, so although they suffered and were mocked and ridiculed and killed in many cases, they kept preaching the same word and praying. Okay? So now, he uses Elijah as an example. So, you know, he was very much like his elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he uses a ton of illustrations, a ton of word pictures, very much like his older brother, very much like me. And so we read in verse 17, so Elijah, I want to ask you what you, where you think he's going with this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Why do you think he opens with that phrase, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours? Why would he do that? Exactly. I mean, we know that he was a very anointed prophet. I mean, he was the only one or two people. Uh, it was taken up to heaven without a death on earth. He was taken up by a fiery chariot. We know that. And then Enoch was taken up in Genesis. So, I mean, of all prophets, Elijah stands way up here. Matter of fact, at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is still there, you can go there. you got to go to Israel someday. Let's wait for the air to clear a little bit here for the next three years or so. But you got to go. Because that same mountain is here. Is there. And you look down over the mountain and there's a little creek, the Kidron Creek, where Elijah called fire down from heaven on that same mountain. Different story. And chased the 450 prophets and killed them down in the creek. You can look down there and see exactly where it happened. And this is the mountain. There's a big convent up there right now. Um, anyhow, um, so he was an anointed, powerful man. He never died on this side of heaven. And when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration praying, Peter, James, and John was there. And who appears? Elijah and Moses. Moses represented the law, and Elijah re represented prophecy and the prophets. 
and they're standing with Christ. So we're talking about a prophet that is head and shoulders over all prophets. Okay. Yet, James says, he put his pants on the same way we do. He had the same kind of heart and veins and muscles and mind. And he's saying you may not be a priest in the temple that prays for healing, and you may not be a prophet that calls down fire out of heaven, but we're just like him. So he's trying to build confidence. Now, if anybody needed confidence, it was the people he was writing to. He actually finishes his letter, two more verses to go, the same way he started it. This letter is written to all of the scattered Jews that have been dispersed. And almost every week I've told you these were discouraged believers. They were suffering persecution. They probably weren't gathering in fellowships together. They had all kinds of problems, temptations, and uh, the understanding of living the word out rather than just knowing about it. And their tongue was... They were killing one another with their tongue. And he goes, they were gossiping and judging one another. This is a messed up group. But a lot of them were genuinely discouraged and backing away from the Lord, which we're going to see in a minute. So James is ending up with hope. He's saying, you, you brethren out there, you've been broken, you've been hurt, you probably stopped praying. You're probably bitter at God. Why should I? He never answers my prayers. He says, you're just like Elijah. Same nature. So he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Now, when you see the word fervently, what is, what's your word there, Steve? Earnestly. Earnestly. What does that mean to you? He prayed fervently and earnestly. Diligent, so maybe consistent, passionate, from the heart, all of the heart. He prayed hard. Now, interestingly enough, you know, when you're having fun, time goes by fast, but do yourself a little study. So later, in... Uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18, you can read about Elijah, how uh, he told the people that there was going to be a drought because the Lord told him to tell them that. And then he prays for the Lord to end the drought, and the drought ends. But there's certain things that he does. He actually, he prays for the drought to end after three and a half years, and he tells his servant to go over the cliff and look at to see if there's a cloud there. And at first they saw a little cloud like a little a man's hand. And he sent the servant to look for a change in the sky because it says the clouds and the rain are coming seven times. So what does that tell you? Just don't pray once. Be consistent. Pray over and over and fervently. It also says in 1 Kings that he put his head in between his legs. So that tells me that there was no distraction and he was given everything he got. It would be similar to laying on your face, pouring out your heart before the Lord, sobbing, whatever it takes. So fervency with all your heart, trusting the Lord, knocking on the door like the widow in the parable of the widow knocking on the judge's door. She knocked on the door till he finally was so irritated he answered the door and answered her request. Jesus said that's what you should do when you pray. Okay, so we won't have to look at that. So the rain finally comes. He was looking for it, standing on tippy toes. God gave him confidence. God just gave him the faith to believe. And he prayed it, the prayer of faith, the faith that God put in his heart to believe, and he acted on it, to the point where he said, I want you to go back and see if that cloud's growing. He went back seven times. 
And then here comes the rain. Oh my gosh, imagine that. Okay, just some notes here, and I want to end off with these last two passages. First of, first of all, prayer is to be continuous, not only when we're in panic mode. Jesus said, walk into your closet. How hard is that to do? Like, how long, if you have a closet you can walk into, how long does it take to walk into your closet? That's how long it takes to turn our heart to the Lord and talk to Him. About as long as it takes to open a door and walk in a closet. Then he tells us to pray like children. Childlike, not childish. What's the difference between childlike and childish? Stupidity, yeah. Childish is selfish. Childlike is innocent. Daddy. I'll never remember my daughter. I was studying in my uh, uh, study one day as a pastor in Eureka. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm studying. It's important. Big deal. My five-year-old daughter's questions are more important. She asked me so many times, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And after all, after, you know, after a while, you get numb to Daddy, Daddy. And you shouldn't. And finally, she takes her little hands, little dimples on her hands. Put her hands in my cheeks and said, Daddy, listen to me and look at me. <laughs> that's that's fervency. Maybe we need to say that, Lord. Lord, son, Daddy. Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. Sometimes I don't feel you hear me. You can handle that. Look at me. Show me something, anything. He loves all that stuff. Okay, anyhow, it's to be continuous, and it takes as long as walking into your closet door. Like a child. Um, notice James covers most of life's circumstances. Sickness, stress, long-term trials. Whatever it is, pray. Flipping an A. Driving down 62. Getting gas before you pick up the phone to call someone that needs prayer. All through the day, as it comes to mind, he's accessible. I love that kind of prayer any day more than eight hours a day. Any day I love that kind of prayer. I mean, the eight hours a day kind of prayer is like me being committed to a schedule that I just got out of. Now I have more freedom. To do whatever I want. My wife will keep a check on me, though, I guarantee you. <laughs> Here's the other tip. Prayer is not a substitute for wisdom, is not to be a substitute for wisdom and responsibility. Use common sense. Pray with faith. Use medicine. It's not to replace common sense and wisdom. He wants us to use all of our faculties and also pray. Prayer is powerful from the righteous, but we don't have to be perfect. Okay? So we have more power, I think, than we think we have because of the Spirit of Christ. Yes? Oh, Lee, the, the thing there that I didn't, I didn't say, okay, well, this is fun because, uh, yeah, I missed that. That's the problem. Give you my notes. You go, hey, what about this? What about no? But that also helps me. So I was saying, sometimes it takes time. You have to send a server back seven times. Sometimes you don't see a change till the next day. The Lord, you know, He's so wise and fun. In His time, in His time, He makes all things what in His time beautiful, beautiful. Ecclesiastes. So what I meant by that story is we have a friend named Lee, she's with the Lord now, but she was visiting us from San Francisco, the church I was at, she was one of our church secretaries, she came up to Medford to check out the area, and she had, she wanted to know if it was the Lord's will that she moved here, and so we picked her up at the airport, my wife and I were sitting in the car with her, and she said, before we go anywhere, before we even go anywhere, can you pray and ask the Lord to clarify his will if I move here? So Jenny and I prayed right there. I know Horst said amen, and he said, what did he say? I said, what? 
What did the Lord tell you? And I jokingly said to her, it's not even out of the roof of our car yet. The Hermie class. What do you mean, what did he say? I just said a... So anyhow, we need to be more patient. That's what I meant by that cute little story. Okay, and then let's end with this. So he ends on hope for a scattered, disillusioned, bitter group of believers. And he ends on hope. And some of them are starting to doubt their faith and stray from the Lord. Last two verses, he ends on hope. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, doesn't mean he's left the truth permanently. But he's in a dangerous zone. If anyone has wandered from the truth and someone brings him back, not a pastor, not anyone of a degree, anyone, any believer, you, me, the 11-year-old boy we're praying for, anyone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, so he calls it strain and wandering, he will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. That's the atonement and blood of Christ over his sins. Anybody have anyone, any in your life, anyone in your life right now that has strayed or wandered and there's a time maybe you think the Lord wants you to talk to this person. Anybody? Yeah. Me too. Just got to wait on the right time. Essential that it's the Holy Spirit. Remember we, we talked in Galatians about judging. It says if your brother has fallen into sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And consider yourselves, lest you fall in, essentially, to the same sin. So, humbly, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that's leading us when we have that conversation with whoever. It has to be the Holy Spirit. And it has to be with humility. Not fire in our eyes. Not pointing fingers. But an understanding heart. And I'll close with this. I was talking to a friend today, and he, but I don't think his father was a believer. And his father, I think at 88, he was dying. This happened about a year ago, I think. And he goes, let me tell you about his deathbed experience. He said, I said to my wife, we have to try one more time. Because we tried to share our faith with him through the years, and he just, he was a man's man, kind of, you know, lumberjack, kind of like, no bother me with this stuff. He's on his deathbed, though. And he says to his wife, we, we got to try one more time. He goes, Dad? Yep. So I'll tell you, first of all, that you're going to, as soon as you go off uh, oxygen, or whatever it was, you'll, you'll be dead in seven days. Okay. He said. He said, so um, I have something very important to tell you. All right. Well, you know, I'm a Christian dad. I've been telling you that for a long time. And, and when seven days comes up, you're going you're gonna to have to stand before the Lord. But I want you to know something. Right now, you need to know that He loves you and He's crazy about you. He loves you more than you can imagine. Just in the condition you're in, He loves you with everything inside of Him and everything that's inside of you. He said it about three or four times. He's crazy about your dad. And dad's going, is that so? Yeah. So he says, dad, can I pray for you? Shared the gospel with him a little bit. Kind of, kind of. And he goes, who would not want to be prayed for with someone that loves you like that? And that will do that for you. Absolutely. Pray for him. That moment on, he was so joyful, died seven days later, came to Christ. Well, he wasn't a wandering saint, but he was certainly a destined sinner. Same thing. 
So I want to end on this. I want to pray a prayer of hope for those of us that have loved ones that are away from the Lord. And we kind of already know that the Lord's going to move us in that direction. I have a son that I want to talk to, a couple of something. So Lord, we also, like James, he thought about these strange saints. He was very firm and stern with them, but here he ends with grace and hope as you always end with when you look at our wrecked lives, grace and hope. For the people that you've put on our mind and our heart, like you did James, he thought of these people. He knew some of them. Lord, we pray that at the right time and the right place that you would direct us to bring back the wandering saint so that his soul will be saved for eternal life. We know that that's more than just bringing him back to church. We're talking about his soul being saved for eternal life. So Lord, help us. Help us to be prepared. Help us know when the moment is right. Give us the words to say and the confidence, knowing that you're in it. We pray that those we care for that are out there, as James did, bring them home and help us to participate in that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, like normal, thank you very much. You are one of the best groups anywhere. I'm going to do two more the next two weeks on the life of Moses. Got some really fun stuff on the life of Moses. And, you know, from when he was a baby all the way to, you know, when God met him in a very bush. So it's a good, it's a good teaching. Blessings, my friends. Happy New Year. Stay dry and warm.